This is Conquering Columbus. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, and every week here on the show, we bring interviews with the people that are leading in their respective fields here in our city. And today on the show, we're joined by Josh Curtis, Managing Director of Footprint Capital. As usual, we start the show talking with Josh about his early career and how he learned the importance of building relationships and trust with his clients working in lending. I would tell you, it's really still a relationship business at the end of the day. Every client, every deal we've done, the relationship matters, right? There's a lot of trust, particularly in any lending relationship. The treasury management side, it's probably a little more automated or a little more not based upon people, but the lending side is very much based on people. Later, we talk about mergers and acquisitions and how Footprint Capital helps their clients make complicated transitions successfully. I really like the transactions where our client stays in for 10 to 40% because some of those second bites of the apple can be sizable. I think our best story is our client retained about 30% of the business. He rolled his $3 million. And if you fast forward about three and a half years, he took off just under 50 in an exit because you know he knew what the levers were to grow but he needed a partner to really help him go out and execute it. We wrapped the show talking about the biggest blockers owners face when trying to sell their businesses. I think my number one answer is unrealistic value expectations. We meet a lot of owners that have an opinion of what their business is worth, and to us, it's not grounded in reality. Number two, I would say, you know, just what the financials of the business look like. Are they organized? Are they strong performance? You know, what do the margins look like? There's a lot of kind of financially oriented things to us that may not be a fit for us. What is that owner's expectation in terms of transition post-close? The scenario to walk away quickly is usually not likely. Most of these businesses are very owner-reliant still. And, you know, we usually try to convince our clients, you need to at least commit to a couple years. As always, we hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike. We got Josh in the booth. No Tim today. Josh, what's going on? Not much, dude. Just back from the new year. It's 2022. Uh, everything else is good. How are you? How was your How was your holiday? Did you go to <laughs> Did you go to San? I'm, I'm, you're from San Diego, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That is that is absolutely true. And uh, no, I did not go to San Diego because no one that I know lives in San Diego anymore. Well, okay, that's that's false. You went to Palm Springs. Yeah, Palm Springs. Palm what is Springs. What is Palm Springs like in December? Uh, it's about 63 degrees, dry. Uh, Pretty nice, you know. Nice. Did you golf? Oh, absolutely. How did? Uh, how was falling down mountains? That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, you think you'd get better at something if you do it three years in a row, but you don't get better. At least I don't. <laughs> and then it's disappointing too because the family be like, like, oh, well, you're so athletic. You'll pick up on it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, I'm not that athletic. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, well, that seems like a good time to bring in our guest. And uh, today on the show, joining us is Josh Curtis. And Josh is the Managing Director of Footprint Capital. Footprint Capital assists owners of privately held companies with mergers and acquisitions, strategic decisions, ownership, transition planning, and corporate finance. As Managing Director, Josh works directly with business leaders to help strategize and plan these complex transactions. Prior to leading Footprint Capital, Josh served as Vice President of in-source spend management group. We're really excited to have Josh on the show today to talk about his role and everything Footprint Capital has going on. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Josh. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, excited to have you here and appreciate taking the time to join us here on a Tuesday evening. But kind of first place we like to start is just get a little bit of background on yourself and your story, right? Where, you know, 
far back as, hey, have you always lived in Columbus? Uh, yeah. Born and raised in Dublin. Both my parents went to Ohio State. Lived on the river in Dublin when there was nothing there. And we used to feed uh, farm animals on Sawmill Road. So I, I go way back. And so you grew up here. You decided to branch off into college. What did you decide to study in college? I studied finance. Um, I always was entrepreneurial. Always knew I wanted to work with business owners in some fashion. Always was kind of prone to numbers and, and just wanting to learn about businesses. So yeah, I kind of gravitated towards the business department. And so when you wrap up undergrad, where do you decide to go at that point? So I was very fortunate. So I played soccer and uh, a guy that was older than me uh, helped me get an internship at Fifth Third here in Columbus. I was in the credit department, kind of helping them organize. I guess I would describe it as kind of their troubled loans, loans that weren't performing very well. And uh, they were just kind of gathering information about those. And, and I worked in that department. And kind of as I went into the end of my internship into September, going back to play soccer, they offered me a job. And they said, you can come into our rotational program. You'll get to rotate through all parts of the bank, you know, commercial and retail. And kind of if you do well at the end of that nine to 12 month rotation, you would get to choose where you want to go. And uh, I said, great, don't have to look for a job in Columbus where I wanted to be. And uh, it was a pretty simple decision. And did I miss it? Where were you playing soccer in college? I did. Yeah. I played soccer at Wittenberg. I was supposed to go to Miami of Ohio and they cut the men's soccer program with Title IX between my uh, senior year of, of, college, or of uh, high school and my uh, freshman year of college. And so I had to scramble to decide where was I going to go. And my club soccer coach actually was the Wittenberg coach. It was just kind of a natural fit. New soccer would work out and uh, it ended up being the right decision for me long term. So you get this opportunity inside, you said fifth third, right? And, yes. and you start rotating, seeing all these different aspects of the business. What really stuck out to you throughout that experience? What really stuck out to me was the passion that business owners had and the ability for them to generate wealth. You know, I, I got the, the opportunity as, as I rotated, you know, through the investments and through retail and, and just really while I was in the, the middle market lending group is where I spent most of my time working with those relationship managers and, and seeing how they engage with the clients and then seeing how the clients, you know, valued that relationship with the bank, you know, talking to them about what their vision was. And I, I was a junior guy, right? So I wasn't really doing any of the talking. I was just listening. But it was just fascinating to me to learn about all the different business models, the way people made money just kind of what their passions were. How many years ago was this? So I started at Fifth Third in uh, 2003. So what was that? Almost 20 years ago, I guess. Gosh. So a decent ways back, at least to recall more granular aspects of the memory. But I'm curious, when I think about a bank's relationship with a business, as of lately, I've learned more. But I, I would think like every bank's going to be the same kind of situation. As you were looking at these different businesses and understanding relationships with banks, like how does that work at a detailed level? Is it, is it really that different from bank to bank and, and working with these business owners? I would say that the products and services aren't that different, right? Uh, they may have been a little bit more then than now, you know, just based on technological advancements and things like that. But I would tell you, it's really still a relationship business at the end of the day. Every client, every deal we've done, you know, the relationship matters, right? There's a lot of trust, particularly in any lending relationship. The treasury management side, it's probably a little more automated or a little more not based upon people. Uh, but the, the lending side is very much based on people. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you.
So how long did you spend at Fifth Third? So I was there about four years. And from there, where did you go and why did you decide to leave? What made you want to go look for something new? So I didn't actually look. I was in, engaging with some people from GBQ. Uh, GBQ had a, a thriving and still does a thriving business valuation practice. They were in a place where they were going to start an M&A advisory practice really to help kind of cater to their clients that wanted to make an acquisition, wanted to sell for liquidity, raise growth capital, things of that nature. And uh, I was just networking with them at the time. I was a young relationship manager. I was fortunate at Fifth Third and that it was a time when the bank was really growing. Some people had left the organization to go somewhere else. And I kind of got thrust into a, a relationship manager position where kind of the next closest guy in my role was probably 15 years older than me. And so I was really viewing the engagement with GBQ as, as networking. And as I got to know those guys, they said, well, why don't you come join the M&A practice? You know, we think, you know, kind of your desire to learn, you're hungry, you want to, you're willing to take on work. So I wasn't looking. They offered me a job and uh, I said, look, I, I felt like I could always go back to banking. I left on great terms with the people at Fifth Third, still I'm close with a lot of them today and uh, kind of helped GBQ launch a new practice. And this must have been, if my addition is right in timing, like 07, 08 time. Yeah, it's about 07, yeah. Interesting time to uh, make a switch. Yeah, so it, was, well, so it was interesting, right? So none of us saw 2008 coming, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I left, I, I guess it was, I think it was November of, of 06, actually, when I, when I formally started at GBQ. And uh, we had great success. Um, you know, we were closing deals. The practice was growing. You know, I, I was leading the practice. I think we had five people or so on the team. And uh, before you know it, we had, I think, five deals on a letter of intent, 2008 hits, September, and not one of those closed. You know, we scaled our team back and, and really focused more on buy side work. And uh, GBQ was very supportive of the practice. It was something they really saw as core to what they saw for the future. But it, it was a different time in M&A, definitely. Focusing more on the buy side work. So basically, I'm assuming, you know, some sectors weren't hit as hard as others, but there were some companies that had a decent amount of liquidity there that were then looking to, to exactly. buy up some of the ones that were, okay. Exactly. Those that had strong balance sheets that, that were well positioned to kind of take a competitor out or expand their geography or maybe diversify a product uh, of a company that, that wasn't as strong. So we were, we were successful in doing that, but, but it wasn't quite, I don't know how I'd describe it, you know, the, the emotion of it, right? Transactions can be very emotional. And it wasn't always fun as you're out talking to people who are kind of in, in the, a, a need to sell mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe a want. Yeah, I can imagine, especially when you're buying a competitor or <laughs> one of those situations that emotions might flare in that type of a situation. But so you spend some time there, you kind of really get to know the mergers and acquisitions market. And is this the point at which you join Footprint or? So there's one more, there's there? one more step. So kind of akin to when I was at Fifth Third, I was talking to a, a logistics firm, Asset Light, called InSource, where the owner was really only focused on parcel. They were only, you know, helping negotiate FedEx and UPS contracts. And he said, I have a vision to really build out within transportation logistics, you know, get into ocean and LTL and some of these other areas, as well as maybe technology, telecom, things like that. And uh, it turned out as he and I got to talking, he was from Lima, which is where my dad's from. His first client happened to be my uncle's company. So there was just a lot of commonality. And at one point basically said, instead of me hiring GBQ to do this, why don't you come work for me? You can get phantom stock, you can invest alongside me in transactions that we do. 
And, um, and again, kind of going back, I'd always knew that somehow I wanted to kind of move to the ownership side. I didn't mm-hmm. know exactly how I was going to get there, or what the path would be, but I felt like, look, you know, it was, it was really a small team at GBQ at that time on the M&A side. I felt like if I, if I left on good terms, I could always kind of come back to that or that, you know, maybe there would be another opportunity there. And so I left GBQ, went to InSource. You know, we, we did two acquisitions while I was there. You know, we were 531 on the Inc. 5000, had great success. I helped us form kind of three strategic partnerships in the technology space. And um, we got approached by a, a strategic buyer called AFS Logistics out of Texas. The owner kind of felt like it was the right time for him. My role had gone from being external, really looking for ways to grow, thinking strategically to I was CFO. I was doing much more administrative work than I ever had in the past and just wasn't I wasn't as enthusiastic about what we were doing because my role kind of wasn't as growth oriented. It was more internally focused. And so it was the right time for me. So we sold the business in uh, January of 2014. I didn't want to stay with the acquire. I had the chance to kind of help be the number two guy in their M&A practice. Didn't really feel like that was a fit for me. They wanted me to move to Texas or Louisiana, which I didn't have any interest in doing. And long story short, I, I looked at joining another investment bank, starting a Columbus office for an out-of-town investment bank. I was talking to GBQ. You know, they were kind of after I left, they had gotten out of the out of the practice and and had kind of closed GBQ Capital. And I really just didn't feel like any of the opportunities were exactly what I wanted or that I was getting credit for what I thought we could build here. So I started Footprint in Mm -hmm. January of of 14, hopefully a tribute to kind of the terms that I left GBQ under. We developed a strategic partnership with GBQ that, that started right when we started Footprint. So we've shared space with them. They've been great partners in in referring work. We refer work back and forth to one another. One of the first deals that that they referred us into kind of in that first year was to White Castle. We helped the White Castle family, you know, the Ingrams sell. They divested three kind of non-core businesses. Most people never knew that they were in, which I sure didn't until Russ Meyer over there walked us out back. And he said, well, here's our lawn spreader division. Here's our appliance stamping business, and and we have a powder coat operation. And I said, what? <laughs> I said, I thought you guys were a food business. And when you look back at their lineage, you know they they used to own a lot of manufacturing companies, you know, largely to build out their own stores. But Billy Ingram was friends with with OM Scott of Scotts, and they were still making lawn spreaders, you know, fifty some odd years later for Scotts. So it was a pretty cool story for us to be part of a generational business, right? A, a famous business not just here locally, but but nationally. And, and so a couple of deals like that really helped propel us and kind of put us on the radar here in Columbus when frankly, it was just me doing every job. We're gonna take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So going all the way back to like the beginning of Footprint Capital, when you start a business like that, when you're starting a consultancy, a group that's working with businesses on M&A and those types of things, was it just you? Just me. Was it just you? So you're, you're by yourself. I mean, that got, got to be the first hardest thing. It's got to be getting your first clients, right? Guessing a lot of those came from previous relationships or people that you knew that, that you'd had involvement with in the past. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I would, you know, I would give a lot of credit to GBQ. You know, they, they were great partners. You know, what I knew was if I was able to office with them that I would have the benefit of seeing those people on a regular basis. So, so I set up in their office, I was going there every day. 
And some of those people were really key to helping us get started and get those first deals and lend credibility to us. But yeah, it's all about relationships at the end of the day for us. We, we don't cold call anybody. Uh, 100% of our deals, you know, I, th- I think we're up to almost 100 transactions now since, since January 14. And not one of those have we cold called. They've all come from a trusted advisor or a former client. And then what do things look like today? Are you mainly focused on sell side, buy side, uh, small mid-market? Yeah, I would say we're probably 70, you know, two thirds to three quarters uh, sell side. I would call us in the lower mid-market. You know, most of our clients are probably, you know, value, you know, 10 to 100 million, something in that range. The largest deal we've done is about 135 million. But yeah, we're, we're living in that. We're working with founders, you know, we're working with with owners maybe that didn't found the business but acquired it or second generation, you know, people who either want to exit and retire or they're at a place where they feel like they've really grown the business, they want to take some chips off the table and they really want to continue to scale. That That's the bulk of what we're doing today. Yeah, we do buy-side work. Um, you know, we're doing uh, two buy-side searches right now for private equity firms looking to to grow, but but it's really working with those founders that's the, that's the most fun. You know, these people are passionate. You you work with them every day, right? I mean, I could tell you our clients' schedules. I could tell you what time most of them meet dinner with their family. I could tell you what time they get up because this is the most important thing that they're growing that they're going through. Um, and so we're just we're talking to them real time. So what's I mean, is there a typical challenge or issue that brings you? It sounds like there's kind of a wide diversity in the range of issues that you guys would work with a client on. Yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing about what we do is no two deals are the same. They're all different, right? Every client we work with has a different personality, most times in a different industry. But what I would say is common. I mean, there's there's common problems, right? One would be people aren't ready. Their houses aren't in order, right? The, the financials aren't organized, legal you know, contracts aren't organized. You know, they don't have non-competes in place with some of their key people. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that you see that are kind of commonplace regardless of the industry or, or business. And as you look at the opportunity to take chips off the table versus leave entirely, do you see a pretty good mix between those two categories? Or are most people wanting to stay on? Or I, I think it depends on the age. Um, you know, we, we've sold businesses where our clients have said, I want to I sell 100% and I want to work as little as possible post-close. I mean, I think we've only had one deal where the guy literally didn't work one hour. Um, but you know, he was in his mid seventies and he's just worn out. I think we're doing deals. You know, we, we did a deal last year with, with a guy who was around 40 and he really saw an opportunity to bring in a partner to help continue to accelerate the growth. You know, he took a, a sizable check off at closing, but he stayed in for 35%. And I think if I had advice for somebody, my advice would be don't necessarily wait till you're burned out. Right. I think what we see too often are, are some of these some of these clients that they get to the point where the business isn't performing and and growing at the way it, it once did. Right. It's kind of past its prime. And it's mostly because the owner's gotten fatigued. Right. The owner hasn't put the same amount of time in the same amount of energy, reinvested the same dollars. So I really like the transactions where, you know, our client stays in for, you know, 10 to 40 percent because some of those second bites of the apple can be sizable. I think our best story is our client retained about 30% of the business. He took about, well, actually he didn't take any money off that. There were two majority owners um, that took off about 10 or 12 million and uh, he rolled his $3 million. And if you fast forward about three and a half years, he took off just under 50 in an exit because you know he knew what the levers were to grow. 
but he needed a partner to really help him go out and execute it. There's some really neat stories out there of, of people that we've worked with that both up front as well as over time have had a lot of fun and made a lot of money. Do you see opportunities like that take place when they take all the chips off the table? Like you would think when somebody, unless they are in their mid seventies or, or a bit older that, and they're really tired, if they want to fully exit from the business, you would just assume naturally that there's something wrong, right? There's the tides are going the opposite way and they need to jump. Do you see a lot of these sales go through and actually watch the new owners say, okay, look, like this is going to be successful? I think it depends. I think fortunately for us, whether it's here in Columbus or whether it's just inherent with owners in general, these people care about the future of the business, right? They care about either the name or you know the success of the people or how they're going to take care of the customers or the employees. You know, there's there's a lot of intangibles with with most of the clients, most if not all the clients we've worked with, and so I think we've really focused on finding the right partner. You know, the the right steward of the business, not necessarily the person who's going to pay the most money. So. Do a lot of our deals go to the highest bidder? Yeah, but it's not always kind of fabricated that way, right? A lot of times how it turns out is, you know, the the second bidder is really who our, or the third is really our client's preferred option. And then we try to figure out how do we get that preferred option, you know, to the right terms and, and value. It's not always the most. I mean, we, we have a deal we're working on right now where our client said, look, I, I don't want to go with that party because I don't think they're going to be the right steward of the business. And so they knowingly took less to another party that they really felt like was the right fit. So I guess to answer the question, Josh, I think we've really focused on what that fit is. And I think as a result, the transactions have been successful post-close. Is there is there bumpy times, you know, in the early days, as, especially as some of these owners might be for a period of time, even if they don't retain ownership, reporting to a bigger organization and they're not accustomed to kind of being in that role? Yeah, absolutely. Or, or is... Uh, an entrepreneurial culture merged into a bigger organization, you know, maybe some of that flexibility or, or some of the benefit that some of those employees maybe saw kind of gone away. Yeah, that happens. I think we're, we try to be realistic with our clients and to the extent we have access to certain employees, realistic there. But I mean, we did a deal last year that we sold to a public company and, you know, this public company has really operated their divisions pretty autonomously. And, you know, our, our client has a, approaching, you know, what, about 10 locations. And they've really kind of added some infrastructure, added some reporting requirements. But the day-to-day, those employees don't feel much different. You know, there's a little bit more burden on them, if you will. You know, that's helpful. Insightful. I'm curious now, what percentage typically sells to like another firm or publicly traded company versus an individual coming in? So I would say the individuals are, are low for us. I, I would say probably 10-ish percent of our deals have been to individuals. We've got some great stories, probably end up doing one deal a year maybe that, that is to an individual. And what I would usually describe that as is, is a very active owner who is key to the business day to day. You know, it's probably on the lower end of our size range, you know, maybe five to 10 million of value where they really don't want to sell to a competitor, right? And they really don't want to sell to private equity who's going to sell the business again in three to five years, right? Or three to seven years. And they really want it to kind of stay part of the, f- the fabric of this community. So, you know, we're doing a deal right now, for example, where this gentleman has run his business for probably 40 years. We found an operator from one of the large retailers in town and uh, he's going to come in and run the business and he's buying control. We're doing an SBA deal. He's bringing in a couple investors with him that will add some strategic value. And uh, those are great deals. 
they're fun deals because the owners oftentimes stick around a little longer in those and, and it's a little bit different dynamic whereby they can really kind of wind down. I think we did one, what, maybe four years ago where the owner's still working a couple hours a week, kind of managing a couple client relationships and, and it's been good. But I would probably say the highest percentage of our deals have been, you know, some form of private equity, either private equity as a platform investment or private equity that has a portfolio company where this would be an add-on or our client would be an add-on. And then I would say strategic buyers would be probably pretty close behind that. I'd probably say we're maybe 55, 60%, something like that to private equity in some form. And then probably, you know, 30, 40% to strategics with individuals being in the minority. But you know, we meet with a lot of individuals here locally that have come to Columbus, love Columbus. They don't want to move their families. And by virtue of that, they say, look, one of the avenues I really want to pursue is buying a business, right? Maybe they were an executive that came in from out of town through a company and they want to stay. So I love trying to meet those people and, and help them find businesses to buy. It's fun. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies. It grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. Something I'd be curious about is uh, when do you turn people down, right? Because I, I think in this business a lot, right? You assume like, hey, any relationship comes in, we're going to work with them. But I, I'm guessing there's times where you have to turn people down. What is it that, what are the red flags for you? What do you, what do you, when you talk to someone, you say, hey, this is, you're probably not for footprint capital. Yeah, I think my number one answer is unrealistic value expectations. We meet a lot of owners that have an opinion of what their business is worth. And to us, it's not grounded in reality. So that's probably number one. Number two, I would say, you know, just what the financials of the business look like. Are they organized? Are they strong performance? You know, what do the margins look like? There's a lot of kind of financially oriented things to us that, that may not be a fit for us. I think it's what is that owner's expectation in terms of transition post-close? The scenario to walk away quickly is usually not likely. Mm-hmm. Most of these businesses are very owner-reliant still. And you know, we usually try to convince our clients, you need to at least commit to a couple years. And if they're not willing to do that or that we don't feel like that'll come through in the process, it's not something that we'll be willing to take on. So one good thing, fortunately for us, is we've done a good job at saying no. We have a very high success rate in terms of you know the projects that we've taken on versus closed and, and achieved our clients' objectives you know, hopefully exceeded their objectives. So, you know, that vetting process for us on the front end is is pretty rigorous. And that's really where, because to us, right, when you look at, you know, consulting business, our, our only asset is time. And if we go, most of our fees are contingent, right? So the lion's share of, of our money is paid when we close a deal. And if we go burn, you know, our average process is probably six to nine months. So if we go burn nine months on a client, we can't make that time up. Mm-hmm. 
So we, we really try to be strict and diligent about what we take on. What about the future for you and the team? We didn't talk at all about the size today and what does that look like moving forward? Yeah, so there's seven of us now. Um, so we're pretty, uh, still a pretty small team, but for the size we are, we're, we're active. I mean, we're, we run at a fast pace. You know, we, we do probably between 10 and 15 deals a year right now. I mean, I would say from my standpoint, I want to continue to grow the base of the team here. And I want to really look at, you know, cities like Indianapolis or Pittsburgh or, you know, we're talking to one one individual right now in uh, Portland, Oregon. I want to really find the right people. And, and when you look at what we really stand for as a firm, kind of our pitch to clients is we're going to be that very high touch, go the extra mile for you firm. We want to be face to face as much as possible. We want to really kind of be on it. I mean, we want to be on every call. We're on every call with the lawyers, with the accountants. We really kind of walk them through the process in a way that is that is holding their hand and make sure that they're supported. Um, and yeah, you know, that's both in terms of the the deal dynamics, but also emotionally. I mean, it's a very emotional process for a lot of these people. So not every investment bank thinks that way. Some of these are, are more transactional or certainly bigger deals. The, the emotion isn't there as much, right? It's just more math. But for us, it's really finding those people that kind of share our vision for what what type of service do we want to provide to the client. And you know, I would I don't know that national is the right word, but I think I want to be selective about what cities make sense. I love, you know, the idea of nurturing businesses in the cities where they are. So, you know, I love helping companies stay local, right? And, and not sell to outside ownership. Because to me, the big thing for us here, right, is when you go when you go sell a company to an owner in LA, let's say, that owner is going to take most likely the banking relationship, the legal relationship, CPA, you know, a lot of the insurance, you know, a lot of those, those relationships leave Columbus. And from my standpoint, the more deals that we can do where there continues to be local ownership, the better for this city and the better for all the advisors, you know, kind of in this community. So I'd, I'd love to replicate kind of that model in some other cities that have similar kind of fabric to Columbus. You know, Indianapolis to me is a good one. You know, there's not a lot of investment banks in Indianapolis, you know, a little akin to Columbus. Um, but I'd really love Footprint to be viewed as kind of the preeminent industry leading investment bank here locally as a start. That seems like a good plan. And uh, I think a good place to head towards some of our last questions of the show. Uh, first one being, hey, do you have any advice for our listeners out there? And if it helps, a lot of our listeners are, you know, young professionals, entrepreneurs and people in and around Columbus. Yeah. I mean, my, my advice is pursue your passion. I've been really fortunate in that nothing that I do every day feels like work. I certainly talk to people. I mean, I, I met with a guy who was just really not enjoying his day job, right? He was at a large institution and really the passion was gone. I don't know that he's going to be willing to take the risk necessary to leave to go really pursue that passion. And I think, you know, especially for younger people, do it, do it early. The risk is not as great as you think when you're young. I mean, I, you know, I did it at, uh, I guess, how old was I? 33, uh, 32, 33. And um, I, I said, look, I can always go back and get a job, right? What I know is I've got a certain amount of dry powder that's a runway for me and I'm going to go try it. And if I'm not successful, I can always, you know, f f I'm not afraid of a fa failure. And so I think that's really important for young people. And I think that's really important for entrepreneurs because, you know, think about how much time we all spend working, right? And if and if we don't love it, what, do, what are we doing? So I love it. I've I've never worked a day. And since I've started Footprint, it feels like I've never worked a day in my life. That's really good advice. And uh, from there, we'll go to our last question of the show, Josh. And that's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose 
that phrase for a show that focuses on entrepreneurs and founders and yeah. business owners. What do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? I mean, I think it's a little bit what I said about risk taking. I mean, I think to really grow as a person, right, you got to get outside of your comfort zone. And I think when you get older, you know, when I was young, I didn't fully appreciate maybe what risk taking or, you know, being uncomfortable meant. And I think as I've gotten older and as I continue to work with older owners, a lot of people live in a very tight comfort zone and are not willing to take risks, are not willing to meet new people. And I think it's just a really big limiting factor to how happy and how fulfilled those people are as they get older. I think those people that are more willing to be uncomfortable, achieve more, achieve more happiness, you know, more growth. I don't want to say I like being uncomfortable, but I've kind of come to to a place where it's you got to keep growing, you got to keep getting better and one way to do it is is being uncomfortable. Well said. Josh, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate your time on the show and telling your story and the story of Footprint Capital. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. You got a great show and interested to see what you guys accomplish personally, both with the platform here as well as individually over the next decade. Appreciate that. And Conkers, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, leave a like, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. You'll get episodes and interviews just like this every Monday. Uh, And again, we appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week.